Life is hard when you don't know who you are. It's harder when you don't know what you are. My love carries a death sentence. I was lost for years, searching while hiding, only to find that I belong to a world hidden from humans. I won't hide anymore. I will live the life I choose. This is episode 57 of Fatalist, a podcast devoted to the supernatural series Lost Girl and all things sci-fi, supernatural, fantasy, and horror. My name is Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, although we are in separate locations again. So, how you doing, man? Yeah, doing good. Yeah. Sean was hockey in tonight. Uh, got a uh, nice gyro in me. All right. A little bowl of uh, Maryland crab soup. Yeah, sounds good. And uh, got one kid out of the house at a sleepover. So, uh, yeah, life is uh, going along pretty swimmingly at this point. All right. Well, uh, that, that probably won't last since it's December 20th. And we all know what that means, especially for somebody that's got four kids. Yeah. No, Christmas time is awesome. Yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's a lot of running around and, and, and everything. But, uh, you know, it's a nice time. It's a good time to see my family. Sister's coming in from Colorado. So, uh Looking forward to it. All right. Now, are you a Christmas Eve thing or a Christmas Day or both? Um, we do Christmas Eve here. Like, we go to Mass at 4 o'clock, and then uh, you have my parents and my sisters will come over for dinner at our house Christmas Eve night, and then we'll go out to my parents on Christmas Day. All right. Sounds good. Yeah, I'll tell you, I can remember the days of midnight Mass, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was, that was, uh, those were good, good old days. Those were good old days. Yeah. Going, going <laughs> over to my mother-in-law's for scrambled eggs at like 1230 at night. Oh yeah. Good times. Yeah. Well, probably more like 130 at night. Uh, oh, good point. Right. Right. Still, still a church. Oh my Midnight God. Man, you're not kidding. 130. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. We went to, went to bed very late. We actually, when Sean was just a baby, we still went to midnight mass that year. And then realize that we could no longer do the midnight mass. Yeah. So, all right. Um, well, we, you know, I think we said last time all the shows are in hiatus, or, or just about all of them. So, you know, to be quite honest, I've been taking a little bit of a break this week, and I'm not sure exactly what I've been doing. I haven't been getting to bed any earlier, but I'm not sure <laughs> that I've even seen anything. Yeah. Um, well, almost human was still still out there. You know, I, I haven't completely given up on it yet but i'm several episodes behind and i'm i'm just not really feeling the love for it uh you know i said last week that i've given up on once upon a time and i've had at least three people come and tell me that i've made a bad decision i need to go and look at those episodes and that oh i cried and uh, so i don't know i i might give it a peek but <laughs> but almost human i'm just not you know it's just not grabbing me it's it's pretty good, and from what I've been hearing on the podcast is like around episode, like I think whatever the next episode is is like they said like the first like seven or so episodes you can pretty much watch in any order except for the pilot. Then after that, it's going to be like you, they have to be in the right order. So it sounds like there's some kind of mythology is about to really kick in or some larger story arc is about to kick in. Right. Now, for whatever reason, the network aired them out of the intended order. And who knows? Uh, but what, are you listening to Daryl's podcast for Almost Human? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And actually, uh, your, your buddy Emily was uh, subbed in for Daryl in the last one. Oh, okay. So, um, yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, I like I like Clint and Daryl together, Daryl and Clint. Um, yeah, it's an enjoyable podcast. I, I, the show's pretty good. I, I agree that it's like, for example, you know, I always kind of gauge a show is do I have to watch it the night it comes out or not so much? And like, I just watched Almost Human last night. Right, came on Monday. I just watched it last night. So it's it's not one of those that um, super low but i really i do i do like it uh carl urban i think is awesome and michael ely is great i think those two work really well together um but uh yeah but yet there, there are certain aspects of it that you know yeah yeah we will see uh you know i might give it another chance but now now actually hold on, before we go there is one thing i wanted to bring up i meant to bring this up last time because you're all caught up with sleepy hollow right yes 
and we got John Noble on there, right? Yes. Oh, absolutely. Uh, is he totally Walter Bishop? He is, is that totally. He yes, yes, he is totally Walter Bishop. And I'm like, I'm like this. This is not like because he's he's a British guy, right? And Walter's yeah. kind of got that semi-German accent and the mannerisms and the clothes. He's just like completely playing it like Walter Bishop, and I'm like, that that's wild, you know? Like, I mean, I wonder if that. I know like every fringe fan in the world like wants to see fringe back in some way or another and wants to like we we look like like Daryl and Clint are always comparing almost human to fringe and almost like they even threw out this potential of the two shows merging like we're going to run to Olivia Dunham suddenly yeah and obviously that's not going to happen and I, I love how fringe ended and I can appreciate that but uh you know, he is just totally, I mean, he's, he's all, he is Walter Bishop for sure. It's crazy. Yeah. And you know, so far it doesn't bother me. In fact, I quite like it, but. No, no, it doesn't bother me at all. I, I do like it. I'm just like thinking, you know, like why, why is he, why is he doing that? Because, you know, I, I'm wondering if there's some plot twist where he, and he is Walter Bishop, you know, like. All of a sudden, they say later, "Hey, I was, you know, well, I've but, come back from the future to help out this other guy who's, you know, whatever." I don't know. Gone into the future from the past. That would be cool. I, I wouldn't mind that a bit. Uh, you know, other than that, I don't really have anything in terms of what I'm watching these days. And and I guess it'll pick up. We got the Christmas episode of Doctor Who five oh, days away. Man. So no, we're looking forward wow. to that. You know, it's funny because. Uh, I actually was, was talking about this with someone today. I was like, you know, the Doctor Who Christmas special is kind of like Christmas itself, where there's so much anticipation for it. You just, you just, you know, like you just can't wait, can't wait, can't wait, can't wait. And then when it's there, you you appreciate it, you love it, it's awesome. And then when it's done, there's like this sense of loss, you know. Yeah. Now, will but, you watch it live? Um, I doubt we'll get back here in time for me to watch it live. Yeah, I doubt I will either. Um, like I remember last year we probably got home from my parents at like nine thirty, so you know, like was able to kind of, you know, jump. Well, I mean I like I started from the beginning, but it just it just about twenty minutes or so after it started. Well just tell mom she needs to have dinner two hours earlier. Go on. Yeah, I'm like Mom, sorry, we gotta get out of here. Doctor Who's on, you know, and everything. So <laughs> All right. Um all right, anything but, uh, else? But there's, well there's one more thing. It's like I've I'm uh you know, I've had like season one of game of thrones i've actually had for like a calendar year uh sitting on my shelf and uh finally cracked it open and watched it it was awesome so uh well talk to probably... me talk to me when you get to the season finale yeah oh for season one yes well yeah i, I knew i knew because i read the book so i knew oh, everything okay. that was happening so there's no surprises so i was like oh yo. i'm like well i read the book so i, I totally know what happens i'm not gonna say it because i realized even though it's not a spoiler for me it might be for other people um but yeah it, did i i mean you can imagine reading the book when that happened and i was like paging ahead like 10 pages i'm like all right this this has got to be this is a joke right there's like <laughs> there's no way and it was like yes way that that just happened, you know? Oh, you know, in, in a way, that's too bad. I mean, I, and I've talked to several people that we work with that had read the books first as well. I mean, obviously now, uh, gosh, I can't, is, are they in seat? Did they just finish season three? Finish season three, yeah. And, and, and oh my gosh, I mean, talk about a, a, another WTF moment. But again, yeah. it's probably not going to surprise you when it happens. It really yeah, unfortunately, it won't surprise me. Unless, see, see I, I haven't read all the books, though. So. Like I haven't read like the last one, so if it's something that happened in that one, then I won't know. But of course, if it's something that happened in the last one, they're in trouble. The whole show, I think, is in trouble because George R. R. Martin like writes one of those books every like freaking seven years or something. You know, like he's not he's he's not like really he doesn't crank these out. He's at, not at Stephen King, pace. exactly. So. I think like the big problem is is like what are we going to do when the TV show catches up to where they are in the books, and we have to wait years and years because like George R. R. Martin, he's got no incentive. Like he's got tons of money. Um, he loves football, so he's just like watching football and and stuff. And so he's like basically there's nothing. I don't think the HBO can really do to get him to you know light a fire under it. I don't think uh, uh. maybe they. Part of the contract was, you know, you have to write a book a year or something. 
Uh, who knows? So anyway, why don't we do a little bit of news? And I got just two items tonight. And the first is related to the Marvel world. And, and I think we had this conversation at work uh, either today or, or yesterday about the fact that S.H.I.E.L.D. is not doing as well as we hoped it would. But, uh, you know, not to be deterred, Marvel has announced that Paul Rudd will be playing Ant-Man. Oh. And the... It, it, like an Ant-Man show or... On in, in a movie. In a movie. And, uh-huh. and, and Ant-Man, as you might imagine, is the smallest of the Marvel superheroes. And, yeah. and it's been going on for several years, the speculation uh, as to who was going to take the lead in, in director Edgar Wright's film, because they've known this film was going to be... Ooh, Edgar Wright's doing that, man? Yes. Uh, uh. And apparently, according to Marvel, Wright long ago picked Rudd as his first choice for the role, and it, and it finally came to fruition. And, and what he had to say was, or what Marvel... Uh, announced was that when Edgar Wright came to us with the idea of Paul Rudd, we felt a huge sense of relief because the first step in creating any Marvel Studios film is finding the right star, said Marvel's Kevin Felg. We knew early on that we had found the right person in Paul when he not only agreed to do it, but became as enthusiastic as any actor we'd ever met with about doing the work. We knew we'd found the right guy. We couldn't be more excited for our audiences to see what he's going to do to bring Ant-Man to life. Well, if you knew all that, why'd it take so long to make the announcement? But Yeah, it's a, it's a complicated world. Yes, but uh, I think most listeners probably know Paul Rudd from his comedy films, including Anchorman, Dinner for Schmucks, Our Idiot Brother, and I Love You, Man. Uh, and, and 40-year-old virgin, too. Yeah, and, uh, you know, he, he's done a lot. And, you know, I, I'm sort of in the middle on Paul Rudd. Uh, he's, uh, some things I like him in, he's okay, but I don't know. A Marvel superhero, I guess we'll see. Yeah, uh, I, I think he's hilarious. And uh, my favorite Paul Rudd movement, m- moment is in uh, Knocked Up, which you might not have seen. but I have not. In it, he's uh, in a fantasy baseball league, and he was wearing Orioles jersey and baseball cap. Oh, I think I did read that somewhere. Oh, all right. Well, so, and I don't think he's from Maryland, but I just thought that was that was wild. Yeah. All right. Now it's been a long time since we've talked about this next topic, and in fact, it's been just over a year since Breaking Dawn Part Two appeared in movie houses around the oh, world. God. And whether you saw it as the finale to a sprawling paranormal romance or the end of a great cinematic pestilence, it's over. But like most mega-popular works, Twilight looms so large in the public consciousness that imitators, or in this case, parodies, continue to exist. Twy Harder, a film designed to poke fun at Stephanie Meyer's opus, uh, unfortunately for the parody's creators, Between the Lines... Summit Entertainment wasn't laughing so much and slapped them with a cease and desist order. Well, Between the Lines fought back against Summit and Lionsgate by suing them. However, a $500 million lawsuit over alleged sabotage was quickly dismissed. But we're not done yet. The parody makers decided they're going to sue Summit and Lionsgate because Twilight is racist and perverse. Twilight presents, quote, one-dimensional stereotypes about Native Americans indigenous culture throughout the depiction of the character Jacob Black as a noble savage, bloodthirsty warrior, and sexual predator. The films place heavy emphasis on socio-political hierarchy and economic power based on the color of skin rather than the contents of his or her character or accomplishment. Well, quoting Dr. King yeah. in the lawsuit. Additionally, the franchise is centered around the lustful, an eventual sexual relationship between a 17-year-old girl, Bella Swan, and a male character, Edward Cullen, who's nearly 100 years her senior. That, well, you got to admit that is kind of true. <laughs> can you say frivolous lawsuit? I can say frivolous All lawsuit. Right. But that's, you know, that this country, I'm not going to say it was built on frivolous lawsuits, but it certainly has been maintained on them. All right. So, uh, you know, it's been a while since we've been able to talk about Kristen Stewart and a film that Kristen Stewart's been in. So it's nice to talk about Kristen Stewart once again. So, Right. I think really what the lawsuit should mention is that the Twilight books and films just really, really suck. 
You notice I got Kristen Stewart in there three times. I, I, that, I did. That, I did see you yeah. got Kristen Stewart, and I, I, and I rebounded by mentioning how her movies suck. So, and so maybe we're as long as we even out on this, then I think we're all good. All right. All right, well, why don't we get to some Lost Girl, and uh, we'll start off with some listener feedback. Did you just say Lost Girl? I think you just finished up talking about Kristen Stewart, then you said Lust Girl. I may have. I may Dr. Have. Freud, Dr. Uh, Freud, please come to the main office. Listener feedback. Yeah, baby. All right, well, we got some listener feedback, and we've got one audio, and a few emails. So we're going to start off with one from Katie Williams, who we haven't heard from for a while, but we we certainly heard from her in the past. And she says, I'm not sure what I think of the season. Started a bit odd, but it's picked up recently. The Una men's are spooky, and I think they're a good threat for this season since the Morgan isn't really that frightening. However, I'm not sure I like the developments with both Lauren and Bo this season, especially Lauren. I know she was angry with Hale and the light in general, but I really hope this is part of some bigger plan. I do really like the new Kenzie and Hale relationship. I've been waiting long enough for them to finally get together. Maybe that makes me a sap, but I'm happy. Katie, it doesn't make you a sap. I think we've all been waiting for that. Um, you know, and, and as to all of us waiting for some bigger plan, I think we're all in the same boat there. Well, I, I, I mean, we'll talk about this later, but I really, it appears from the end of this episode that she clearly has some, she's got something going. Yeah. And we'll see. All right. Now the next one is from a new listener, my gray who says, hi there. I've been meaning to give you guys feedback for a little while now. And Sally's not the only one of us out there regarding, yes. your, regarding True. your last, Sally, Sally, you're great. Yeah. All right. Yes. Regarding your last podcast about episode 405, you were both trying to remember who else knew Trick was the Blood King. Quite a few people know, as it turns out, Dyson, of course, but also the rest of the Sunshine Gang, Bo, Kenzie, Lauren, Hale. They told Vex when they were fighting the Garuda. Hale told Lachlan. The Blackthorn also realized who Trick was and leveraged it against him in 202. So select members of the Light Fey noble families or the Inner Circle may also know. And, you know, again... You know, I, I we knew that, you know, the the little band of fighters that went against the Garuda. Of course, they all knew. But I, I guess, like what we were saying is, how come the Unamens don't know? I mean, the right. seemingly and, omniscient, all knowing. Yeah, I, I was actually re-listening to the, uh, our last podcast today, and there is that part where I warned him, like, "Who knows? Well, I think Dice only knows." And just even listening to it, I'm like, "Man, you're a, you're a freaking idiot, dude!" You know. But because, yeah, there are there are quite a few people just like the whole thing, the Garuda, you know, like pretty much revealed to a number of people that uh, um, that he is the Blood King. But, yeah, the, yeah, the big question is, how on earth does the Unamens not know? The Unamens knows whenever like Dyson and uh, Bo are getting it on. How can they not know that uh, Trick is the Blood King? One would think. All right. Now, we uh, Sally also sent, sent a, a message via Twitter to, you know, basically the, the same thing. But she also sent us another voicemail this week. So why don't we take a listen real quickly and then we'll talk about it. So Pietra, the scavenger fae, I'm, I wasn't surprised to hear you say, Dave, that you wouldn't be sorry if that was the last we saw of her because I think it was pretty clear that she was a... a loving portrait or maybe a loving caricature, uh, a little elbow in the ribs to the Docubus shippers. I think she was supposed to be <laughs> a Docubus shipper with her whole, you know, insinuating herself in between Bo and Lauren and being so excited. And then at the end, when Bo goes in to confront Vex, she says, I think you guys make a great couple. So obviously I loved her, um, you know, and, uh, I don't think she's going to be a recurring character. I don't know what was up <coughs> with the stabbing of uh, of the bride or who had the scimitar or why it was there. One thing that I read somewhere was maybe it was just sort of supposed to show how casually brutal and violent the Dark Fae could be. But anyway, that's what I think about Pietra. All right. Uh, yeah, I, I was definitely not a fan of the Scavenger Fae, but uh, yeah, I, mean, I certainly can see that it was a nod to Docubus fans. I mean, certainly, you know, the line that, that you, you two make a great couple, but I still don't like her. And I still don't hope, she, I still hope she doesn't come back. Uh, I kind of liked her. Yeah. I know and, you said that. 
I'll, I'll see you. Like, yeah, I mean, I just reiterate what I said before. It's like I can see her showing up, maybe like the end of this, you know, last episode of the season or something. She pops up for some plot point, you know, some plot device that she has. They have to go through her, or whatever. Yeah, uh, but I, I definitely think she'll be back. I mean, there really haven't been too many of the random Fay that have reappeared. Right. That's and that's kind of well. I mean, not too many. I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think of a character that would be, you know, similar, like that we've kind of, you know, pops in and out, and none can really come to mind. You know, Massimo kind of, but he was like in a quite a few, like a, in a bunch, you know, like all together. So uh, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. All right, but anyway, thanks for the feedback, and, and really keep it coming. We'd love to hear from you. So uh, you know, we, we've been waiting to talk about episode. Six of season four of all the gin joints. But before we do that, Wayne, you've got a little bit for Project X tonight, right? Yeah. I was, I was, I was annoyed because there's a lot of stuff like you could potentially have for Project X because we had like, but they, they say these names of these Fae and then I don't know how to spell them and I can't find, you know, so we had like, you know, Kamazads and Barakians and Alchemists. And uh, I tried just about every spelling variation I could to absolutely zero avail. So reaching deep down into the uh, bag of stuff I could talk about, I came up with Atlantean crystal. So if you remember, that's what Ianka had around her throat that um, was both a choking device, tracking device, and a bomb altogether. And so I found a couple websites that boast the sale of Atlantean crystals. And, you know, I apologize if I'm insulting anyone out there, but they seem kind of crazy because they all seem to be under the impression that Atlantis, like, existed in actuality. Um, so, and so these, uh, you know, like, in the ancient times of Atlantis, all, learning, all technology was based upon the use of crystalline structure. What we consider to be metaphysics, they consider to be physics. So automatically right there, I see that. You see what they're doing there? Yeah, oh, they're yeah. Going. Um, they derive the purity of science from the purity of crystals. And of course, because we, we so know this, right? Like, uh, these magnificent crystals can take us back in time to the lost land of Atlantis. With these crystals, oh, and not in time, but also in reality. With these crystals, Atlantis can be found. They embody the spirit of Atlantis, the culture at last, and the spirituality that was Atlantis. Each and every one of these crystals is part of the greater whole than by the culture at last. So, I mean, just you, I'm not gonna, you just kind of get the idea where that one's going. So, uh, Atlantean crystals, not, not actually a thing. But apparently there are some people who believe they are a thing and that if we get the right ones, you can find these made-up city that, you know, went under the city in a, under the sea in a day. All right. Well. If it's on the internet, must be true. Must be true. So, all right, uh, let's talk about episode four hundred six of all the gin joints, and uh, you know the opening scene w- was pretty reminiscent of the you know that that one episode where uh, I forget, I believe it was in season two, but it could have been season three, where the guys basically Frankensteining his dead girlfriend back together, and she's the ballet dancer and. I don't know. It yeah, right. Just brought back. But we've got the opera singer performing for an audience of one, uh, and then she makes her escape. Uh, we find out in this opening scene that Tamsin has left Kenzie a note that she's basically gone off on walkabout. And, uh, you know, I don't know. What does that mean? Are, are we going to be without Rachel Scarston for an extended period of time now? I don't know. Uh, you know, it, it, hopefully it's just the one episode. But just because they did with, you know, with uh, Dyson last episode right there yeah um you know they come up with some it's like this pattern now like in the first five minutes they come up with some you know plot i don't even want to call it a twist just they pulled something out of their rear ends where to explain why this particular character is not going to be in this particular episode you know you know we also have a not so subtle nod to the 1942 classic casablanca uh you know, be, you know, the, the title of the episode of all the gin joints, yeah. you know, and, and then, you know, uh, you know, the, the Morgans 
Right. Uh, a line at the end about this is a beginning of a beautiful something. something. Right. And, uh, and, and, and just the whole thematic idea of Casablanca, which, which, which is one of doomed love. And, you know, right. we, we see a lot of the couples, uh, some new, some old in, in tonight's episode. And, you know, I mean, that's something we'll talk about as we go along. In, in see, I disagree of, that Casablanca is about doomed love. Well, I think Casablanca is about love at its purest. Okay. Because Rick is able to make the ultimate act of love, which is to let the person you love go. Okay. Well, yeah, because you love her. Right. Okay. Her I, sh- I should have phrased it differently. Yeah. I mean, because so, you're right in me phrasing it. Uh, they're, they're, they're doomed to be apart. Right. But in the end, he's like okay with it because he knows he's, he's able to move on with his life, first of all, because you know, he made the decision. Right. Right. And, um, and, and so he's able to move on. He's a better person. He's reconnected with that that good person he was in the past and not the misanthrope that he'd become after El- Elsa, right? Elsa? Right. Left him? Yeah. I love that movie. Yeah. That's oh, such it's, a great movie. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's just absolutely the most amazing movie. And uh, just the ending is just un- unbelievable. Yeah. So well, we we'll just, you know, you know, I guess spoil, we should give a spoiler alert there. But, uh, you know, if you really haven't seen Casablanca. Uh, I think the statute of limitations is up on that one. <laughs> so, so anyway, we see the singing fae enter the doll and she's seeking sanctuary. And she keeps repeating in Russian that I found you, I found you to Bo. Bo says, you know, I've never seen you before. But Yanka says that Bo is the one that told her uh-huh. to, to find her. And that's pretty much the opening scene. So we're, yeah, you know, is that crap that she comes in talking Russian? Kenzie has to like translate, and all of a sudden she speaks English. Like right. seriously, right? But but I like, think why don't you just speak English in the first place? Right. And, but the, when we find out that Bo claims to not remember her, I think we, you know, we all immediately, oh, they must have met on the death train, you know, in that sure. parallel universe or whatever. Right. But I guess in general, I guess I left that episode feeling we still didn't really have very much movement on the discovery of Bo's bloodline and in terms of who her father is, who the wanderer is. I mean, yeah, we got nothing. Yeah. I mean, dancing around it a little bit, you know, Oh, she's been marked and which we'll get to, but did, did I miss something or when she like looked in the mirror at the end, what the, what did she see? Well, it looks like it's this, this ha- maybe a handprint, you know, as if somebody had grabbed her shoulder, you know, and then they take it away and you see it's, it's like white, uh, uh you know, while so the- I was like, I'm, even the second time I'm like, Yes. I, I, I didn't quite get like what, what she saw. I mean, that's what I saw. So that, okay. you know, and, fair enough. I, I'm sure there must've been something there, but and it I, looked like, you know, I was just too lazy to go back and rewind it. Yeah, I mean, out. it looked like a big hand, whatever it was. But, uh, so anyway, I, I guess the main story in this episode is pretty much Bo coming to the aid of Yanka, the singing Faye, but, but obviously, you know, it's more than her just helping her escape and, 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 set her free is that she feels that Yanka knows something about Bo and knows something about perhaps her father. All right. right. So, so we find out that apparently they've met in the past. It's not made clear how or when and surprise. It could surprise, have been back in the sixties. It just... could have been, but surprise, surprise, the singing Faye also has the power to help Bo unlock her repressed memories. Now you mentioned Alkanist and that's what they're calling Yanka who's a descendant of the bird people and her song evokes powerful memories, but apparently she also has the uh, death tune that she can pull out of her repertoire. Yeah. The, uh, the, the death tune that she seems to be able to kind of focus because like just the one person died. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone else's ears just got a little bleedy. I don't want to say spooky. I mean, it, it it's kind of, eerie you know in that she says you know you came to see me after i sang for you and of course bo can't remember the incident and then yanka can't remember it either and or so she says or so she says and 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 we start to see these little flashes that bo gets which we know obviously is on the train and you know we see her 
uh, lying in the bed on the death train. But that, that scene where she's in the field wearing, I guess that's still the same nightgown that, that was pretty, pretty ragged in that one episode where she showed up at the house with the, uh, the family and the teenager. Um, but it looked like she was running backward in the field. So I'm not sure what that was all about, but, uh, but, but certainly Yonka's singing produces flashes of that. Okay, so apparently they made some sort of deal. Yonka sings for Bo. Bo helps her obtain freedom. All right, that seems like a pretty good deal because, you know, that's, that's what Bo does, you know, helps the people that are, that are weak and can't help themselves. And apparently her singing will help Bo unlock the memories and, you know, cer- certainly seems like a good deal. Now, yes, but a bad plot. Uh, in what way? I just, I, I just the whole first two thirds of this episode, the whole thing with the arc, I just found ludicrous and kind of boring. Actually, well, you know, and and, and I wonder if it, it's just we've seen this before. You know, many times the, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's one of the problems i think of police procedurals it's like you know the whole crime of the week and you know in in genre shows sometimes the monster of the week and i think we've just seen this before Bo helping some person that can't help him or herself and okay maybe that's what it is because i agree with you yeah yeah it's just the whole thing and just the 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 guys fighting over and the the guys fighting over being not really strong characters and the acting being kind of seeming like very like a caricature almost. It just, I just, you know, I was, I was about to give the episode as a whole, a serious thumbs down, but I think it was kind of rectified by the last like 15 minutes. Yeah. And I mean, basically once she died, it got good. Okay. Okay, well, and not, uh, it's not a knock on the actress or anything. It's just that whole plot thing. I just was like, I wasn't, I wasn't there with it. Oh, right. look, I mean, the bottom line is Bo needs to recover her memories. And I don't think either of us was crazy about Yonka as a device for, to help Bo recover those memories. Um, you know, Bo tells her that she feels lost. And then Yonka comes in, neither regret the past nor fear the future. Okay, that sounds like something I'd like to get on a T-shirt. But Yonka tells Bo that Bo told her that she, meaning Bo, wouldn't remember any of this and tells her to look in the handle of her knife. Okay, and we're thinking like, okay, God, we're going to get some great revelation. Uh, The Wanderer is my father. And And she pulls it out and it's just like, you know, it's just restating the deal it's like their little their little contract they have in writing okay like see i told you yeah i mean what's really uh, so what's that all about all right well yeah it's just yeah just like i don't know and then we find out right the whole thing with yanka is she's just been this this i don't want to say pawn not really a pawn but she's been basically caught in the middle of these two warring families who want to possess her for whatever reason and like what reason? Yeah, it was so it was so goofy. Right, she thinks Marcus loves her, but you know that's all a ruse, so that he can hurt. Uh, what's the yeah. other guy's? He name? called her the B word. Yeah. Oh, like really? Yeah, that kind like, of. Here's a woman who has a thing in her repertoire called the Death Song, and you're gonna you're gonna do her like that, man? You're gonna call her a bitch? Are you kidding me? Yeah, I know. So. I mean, that's, that's that's very very rude. Yeah, to start. Well, and then you know we see so Yanka, right? Uh, she sings her song and that kills uh, Marcus. It's also causing Kenzie quite a bit of distress, and she tells Bo that uh, you know as as Yanka's dying in Bo's arm, she tells Bo that even though she's now aligned, your heart is what you want it to be. Okay, now. Uh, Aside from the, uh, I don't know, just sappiness of that line. Sappy is good. That's yeah, a good word. I mean, a double meaning here. Your heart is what you want it to be. Is something to do with her relationship with Lauren. Something to do with her relationship with the Light Fay. 
uh, who knows? But uh, I don't know. You know, I'm with you. I'm, I'm was not a Yonka fan, and and certainly not as a plot device. Um, none, of it, none of those characters they brought in associated with that were really attractive characters. Uh, you, like, I feel bad saying I, I didn't really feel bad, but like I didn't. I wasn't invested in her as a character at all. No, no, not that. At all. I didn't really feel. Like the the loss when she died. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I'm not a callous person. It's just that, as she, you know, I wasn't with her with this character. Yeah. Now, I found her a little annoying. Actually. Now, now at the very end, I mean, you know, that Yanka has apparently given Bo like a little mini sonic screwdriver. And, you know, whatever that thing is <laughs> that, you know, so Bo sees herself back on the train again. The, the little box? Yeah, like, I don't know. The or whatever. Thing. It was like a, it looked like a little ring box or little something. A little glowy, glowy thing. Yeah, a uh, little blue, blue glowy thing. Right, but she sees what appears to be that handprint that you were talking about. That, that you know, I wouldn't talk. You were talking about it. I asked what well, it was. Well, you asked what it was, right. But uh, And that she later figures that she was marked by the wanderer. So whatever that is, you know, it, it certainly seems to cause her some distress. And, you know, there, there we are with that. Now, all right. Why don't we talk about a relationship that I think we both agree that we liked it a lot. And that is with Lauren and Ebony, the Morgan. I mean, come on, really? You, you, you had to like that. Oh yeah. No, that, that part was great. All right. I mean, that was awesome. The I mean, part I didn't like was, the whole stuff with Yanka and all that. All right, all right. But, and there wasn't, and like, and of course they, they, you know, they kept interspersing it with the scenes of, uh, Lauren and Ebony, which I thought were fantastic. And it's so obvious that Ebony is like totally fake and playing Lauren or like trying to play Lauren, you know? And from what we've seen so far, we're like thinking that Lauren is kind of going along with it because Ebony is very, clever you know she knows how to you know like on an individual basis she knows how to manipulate people well well, we get to the even the end of you know that little storyline after the kiss ebony leaves and then she and then lauren pulls that thing off her lip which clearly she's playing ebony exactly exactly so So, that's that was the, the great part at the end there where he's saying the player is being played. Right. So then the question is, why does she want Ebony's, you know, we assume DNA, right? I mean, she, uh, I she, guess she puts yeah. it in a little container that clearly yep. she's going to do something yep. scientific yep. to when it. When she first started pulling off her lip, I thought it was like some kind of lip condom or something like, like she thought that Ebony would have poison on her lips or oh, something like that. Okay. And then she, but then she put in the Petri dish. I'm like, Oh, I don't know. She's like collecting DNA. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, what does she say? She's like, and, and so it begins or something yeah, like that. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, just, you know, even to go back to the opening, right. We, we, Lauren's packing in anticipation of moving out of her light fade digs and into her new dark fay condo. And, you know, she's dancing, some kind of disco song going on. And what strike, strikes me is she's really in good spirits as she's embarking on this new phase of her life. I mean, she's been with the, with the light Faye, what, over five years. And while a lot of it was, or, or rather all of it was in, you know, bondage of a sort, I, I certainly think she, you know, we know she made a lot of very, very close friends. But she seems to really be in high spirits here as she's going to move in with the dark, right? Yeah, but it's, you know, that whole thing about her freedom is what she talked about last episode. Yeah. Uh, you know, is, I think, you know, the main thing. Like, finally, she is, I mean, she's kidding herself if, she, if she's thinking she's not at all beholden to the dark. Um, and she certainly seems to feel empowered. And, again, the ending would suggest that as well, that she is... Uh, certainly has reached a certain level of empowerment. Um, and so I guess that just that feeling that, you know, I'm free. Uh, I don't have to, you know, change anyone's diapers or do a, you know, go be a little gopher or. And, and there's nothing yeah. that you can do or say that's going to surprise me. Yeah. You true. know, I mean, I, I've experienced it all. I know what to expect. You know, how many times does she says, say to Ebony, but I still don't trust you. And, 
you know. Um, I like her response there. She's like, I wouldn't respect you if you did. Exactly. Like, nice. All right. That's a good line. And, and I, I don't know, you know, this whole episode, again, I, I feel like I say it every podcast that, you know, I, I've been sort of lukewarm with Lauren, but I, I don't know, the, these last few episodes, I'm really digging her. And, and this one, I'm, I'm, hey, I'm, I'm on team Lauren now. Um, all right. So. Yeah, well, yeah, I just like a comment. I, I think we said this before. Is that you know? I think before, or maybe we were talking about this at lunch. I think it was at lunch. But yeah, but Lauren had spent kind of like I know she is kind of a main character, but not quite really so much. And I think really her, at least, it's her development of her character has been not spectacular. Right. I mean, you know, she's been a fairly flat character. For a lot now, she shows signs. There's moments where she breaks out and shows different sides, but they played her kind of almost stereotypically as like the you know like the doctor with a, a stick up her ass for most of the time. Now, finally, we're seeing some you know actually cool other elements of her. Seeing her as not just being this on uh, you know Bo's lover on the one hand and the kind of straight edge doctor on the other. One of those two things. Now we're seeing more, you know, instead of the black and white, the, the more grayer shades of, of her character. And it's awesome. It's really good. Yeah, I'm and, really starting to appreciate it more. Well, yeah. I mean, we learn a lot about her in this episode. I mean, you know, it seems like the last few things we've learned were, were not real favorable. Her experience with her brother as the, the terrorist and the killing of the people. But, uh, I mean, look, she's got the entire Star Trek DVD collection that was awesome. And the con collectible action figure. Yeah, so, yeah. And, you know, and the best part is not that she had it, but that when uh, Ebony went to pick up the box, she's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> you know, Like, that's like her absolute most prized possession. Right. That's like the thing, like, hey, handle it. And, you know, it, they're DVDs, so they're probably in like cases. They're probably going to be okay, but still, like, she's like, I thought, you know, like there was some very delicate and fragile in there. Well, and, and also, I guess what struck me about how great her reaction was to that. If there's anybody that would mock her for having that, it would be Ebony. Right. And the fact that Ebony does it probably just reinforces in Lauren's mind that, you know, that Ebony's here, which I'm sure she knows the minute Ebony walks into that apartment, Lauren knows that she's got an agenda and she's going to try and play her sporting jeans. Yeah, exactly. Pizza and a six pack. She and, looked good though. Oh, she looked dressed awesome. Down. Yeah. I think she looked better dressed down than she did last week in that crazy dress she was wearing. Absolutely. Now, pizza and beer is kind of the second time we've seen this with Lauren. That true, true. I, I was wondering if I was going to go that same direction. Yeah. Too. Um, she brought a pack of her personal micro brew, Dark Belch. Yeah, that was funny. She was going through her redneck phase apparently. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Again, it's I guess what one of the other things that makes this whole scene so interesting is that, like you said, I mean, we don't really trust either of them. I mean, we we they both have an agenda, and I think we both like the fact, like you said a few minutes ago, the player playing the player. Yeah. Well, I, I am not going to jump on board with you saying we don't trust either of them. As I was watching it the first time, agreed. I was not really trusting Lauren a whole bunch. But then at the end, with that little twist, now I said, okay, okay, all right. I trust Lauren now. She's got some of her own going. And the beautiful thing about it is she's doing it on her own, right? Oh, well, yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. I mean, maybe, I think that's the best part of the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, don't misunderstand me. I mean, when I say uh, you don't trust either of them, in other words, they're, both of them or each of them's lying to the other. Yes. Right. Okay. So, right, right. But, like, but we don't know that Lauren is until like the end. But, you know, we suspect is, I mean, obviously you'd have to be like really super thick to see Ebony walk into that apartment in jeans and a t-shirt with pizza and beer and not be like crazy suspicious. Right. 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 Now, uh, you know, that whole scene where Ebony's talking about experimenting on humans and, you know, Lauren shoots back, you know, uh, could you come into the 21st century? I mean, we do all that on computers these days, but we already know the dark approach and attitude towards humans. You're wondering what's down the road here. 
You know, she's she brings in all of these personal journals from Madame Curie and and Einstein and uh, gosh, who else? Uh, Charles Mayo. Charles Mayo. And then she dumps another whole pile down. I'm wondering where we're headed with this. I mean, I yeah. I think it was it's more than just trying to impress her with the Fay archives. Well, she's doing the uh, the same thing that the uh, what was the the big bad guy, the guy who turns into the the cabin. <laughs> oh, uh, right, right, right. Yeah. Like the Bill Gates type dude. All right, I'm going to look it up and say the name at the end. You have to edit it back in. But anyway, he played her the same way. Like, you come with me, and you have, like, you can do all the research you want, you know, unlimited resources for you to you know, pursue your science. And right. that, like, really is very, very attractive. To right, but she's not going to fall for it this time. No, she's not going to fall for it. No. Yeah. But she, actually, she's going to pretend that she is, though. Right. She's going to pretend that she's thinking, because if she just jumps in and says, oh, that's awesome, I'm in, well, you know, then Ebony's going to be, like, super suspicious, yeah. right? Right. So she's played it like kind of perfectly where she knows she has to be like hard to get and no, I don't want to do it. And no, I'm not going to do this and everything. And, uh, you know, probably work her way inside the dark Fay, uh, pretty solidly, but she's got to, you know, kind of be cool about it. Yeah. Um, well, Kenzie interrupts the little party calling her alternate reality, Lauren, and, uh, you know, need some liquid argon to neutralize the crystal clear Atlantean quartz necklace, which don't we find out though, that it's, it's fake. No, it's, uh, it's, it's old. Oh, okay. And the, the power, their power has gone out of it or something like that. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, all right. Well, anyway, let, let, let's cut to the chase here. The, uh, the scene that I think wasn't totally unexpected, but still somewhat unexpected. You know, Ebony's preparing to leave. Lauren pulls her in close and kisses her. And yep. And Ebony. Well, yeah, we we kind of suspected that something like that was going to happen. You're right. I mean, you know, I mean, it was you know pizza and beer. Yeah, that's that's a pretty strong aphrodisiac. Right. Uh, and then the you know the homage again, like you said to. Uh, Casablanca, I think this might be the beginning of a beautiful something. So, but the big question, why does she want Ebony's DNA? So, you know, that, that's certainly one of those outstanding questions from this episode. I don't know. I, I don't really Potentially, know. Potentially, she just really liked the shade of lipstick she was wearing. It was ah, just too yeah. embarrassed to ask. Yeah, I guess. So, yeah. I, now, a couple good lines. I, I, I tried to make a note of, uh, of some of the wittier lines and, and certainly Evany to Lauren when she first gets there, your hostessing skills, they suck ass disco queen. So, yeah. Yeah. That was good. One. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, we got a couple others we'll get to in a minute. Kenzie and Hale. We've, we've certainly been waiting for those two to get together for four seasons now. And, uh, right. One of the first, when we first see them together, Hale is pretty much gushing over Yanka, and we learn that the two apparently have a past, and, and it almost seems as if it was a past from when they were children, right? Because they're talking about playing phone pranks, you know, right? Calling up, yeah. you know, is your refrigerator running? So yeah, like they went to boarding school together or something. Like yeah, that. so it, it doesn't seem like it was any kind of a romantic relationship. Um, and then no, she they, she does kiss him though. That's a pretty solid kiss. Oh yeah. Now right now Marcus is trying to get Yonka to sing the death note to kill Bamber. Hale comes in with a death song of his own, right? Yeah. He, once again we see him getting all raw as the uh as a siren. Yeah. That's twice now that he's this season he's really pulled out the hardcore siren stuff. Yep. And you know, Bo's trying to clear the room, you know, I'll handle it. And, you know, Kenzie's having having none of it. You know, and then we said, well, I think we already mentioned, you know, Marcus calls her a bitch and, and, uh, Kenzie is, is obviously experiencing pain from it. And Hale takes her in his arms, carries her away. And finally they kiss, but he lies to her. Right. Yeah. Well, because he said he's not affected or whatever. Right. And, you know, yeah. then we see the blood coming. He's a dude. Yeah, I understand. You're never, never going to admit. But 
How, how's she respect him? You know, like they finally they're first hooking up, and he he immediately starts whining. It's a mere flesh wound. Yeah, but I, man up. But I think we all know, though, it's going to turn out to be more than a flesh wound. Oh yeah. And yeah. you know, is is their love? You know, are they doomed to be apart? So what? You know, anyway, we'll see, we'll see. But uh, but I think you know this is you know the the problem, at least that I've been having with most of the relationships. On here is that they are so intense and so like just like because they're with Bo and Bo just is a you know go for it type of person, right? Yeah. Um, and if, if someone's interested in or some interests her, she's gonna just go for it, right? She's not gonna wait. And and a lot of times she throws herself both body and heart into her relationships uh, right away. Um, where here we have like the slow burn, right? We have this relationship that's been kind of suggested and they poked around the edges of it for, you know, three seasons. And do they, you know, jump each other's bones, go find the nearest hotel? No, they sit together on a park bench and she just kind of rests against them. Or, you know, they kiss and she just kind of rests against them and they have this nice little, you know, yeah. sit and quiet moment together. I thought that was really nice how they did that. And you know what I liked best was when she put his hat on. Yeah. 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 That was a great touch. Yeah. And, and again, that's a couple that, you know, it's like you're waiting for them to get together, but I was never really sure whether I thought the chemistry was really there, but you know, just the, you know, the way you just described it, I, I'm, um, you know, I, I certainly like them together, but, uh, she looked great in his hat. I will say that. So, yeah. All right. Well, I like, I like hats. Women wearing hats. Yeah. You know what? I do I, too. I got a thing for that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you on that one. Um, all right. Well, I, I guess the last couple that that you know the the writers have certainly been throwing a lot of them at the viewers, and that's Bo and Dyson. And you know, at the beginning, after informing Dyson uh, the that she's dark, and he's like you're dark, you know, well, then we can't, well, she immediately seduces him and tricks back room. Yeah. Seduces might be a strong word. Okay. Uh, it seems like it's just like a, let's go back. And well, like, okay. Right. okay. Uh, I mean, his, his resolve, like not to do it was pretty like not strong. Yeah. Well, she, you know, she tells him that her hand was forced and, and immediately he's like, well, I can fix it. Well, he doesn't say necessarily, I can fix it. He says it can be fixed. Right. Well, that's, again, a kind of dude reaction. Right, right. And, you know, this relationship is forbidden, and their sexual encounters are always pretty aggressive. But it yeah. se it seemed as if she was even more, much more aggressive than usual. Sure. Especially at the end there. You know? Oh, yeah, really at the end. And, and you know, there's... It's like role reversal, like... Dyson with the look at me, Bo. I'm like, I want to say, shut up. Well, but then, it, it, but then it raises the bigger question: is why won't she look at him? Who cares? Well, <laughs> right? well you can ask that later for crying out. Well, I understand that, but you know, it, it's it's. I, I think it's important that that you know. I think it goes far beyond she won't look at him because she knows you know it's wrong. You know, light and dark can't get. I mean, that's. You know that that's not it at all. So yeah, but, so what is see, it? Like that's not the time to be like raising issues like that. You know. You mean on his end or my end? On his end. Okay, but right, right. Okay, I agree. Come on, we're you're a dude. I mean, right. You're not going to argue. Girl, I don't care what you know gender you are. When you are involved in the act like that, that's not the time to start complaining about pretty much anything. Unless like something's like hurting, okay, like that's 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 one thing. Well, but, like right. Otherwise, just you know, right. But then her reaction, enjoy it, and you know, like don't afterwards. You can hash out your little issue here. Right. Don't tell me what to do. Yeah. Right. And and you know, I agree. I mean, so is she angry because she feels Dyson's trying to own her? Maybe. Uh, you know, but again, well, that's the whole suggestion of a look at me. That's like. Well, like that, that's suggestive of relationship type stuff. 
and maybe she's not looking because this is to her not this isn't love right right it's right what and, is it but for him it is yeah right yeah so you know i don't want to look at you because this isn't a love thing this is a sex thing right right this so is this enjoy is the sex thing and shut up about trying to push the love issue now, when when they get caught in Trick's back room, there Trick comes in balls of Minotaur. Yeah, light like and dark that. can't fraternize. Balls of Minotaur. That's yeah. Um, and then, uh, oh, I guess when when and then uh, I, early on, Ianka's resting at at Trick's. Well, when Liza Fainelli wakes up, let me know. Yeah. So that's a good one too. Yeah, Bo had a couple good ones, but uh, you know the final scene then. The Una Mens enters the room, you know, and of course Dyson and Bo are going at it. Well, they they were well, well they were right. Dyson, right. you know, screwed it all up with his look at me. Right. Wait, wait, wait. The Codex of Laws have been infringed on. Yeah, what is that? And hey, rules don't apply to me. And they tell her that you know, we're not talking about you. We're talking about Dyson. Why aren't they talking about her? Yeah, though? right. I mean it's, uh, Right, we assumed. I was like, I was like, why they they it takes two to tango, as they say. Unless you know the the rules have been broken are not the one that they're currently. Well, maybe these rules are like the uh, IRS regulations that uh, nobody understands them. But you know, but uh, then you know, at the very end, he starts to go all wolf on them. Yeah, which was cool that that transformation. Yeah, well, you know, the first thing that occurred to me was, you know, the whole black eye thing that we always would see out of Tamsin. And I guess I started thinking that, okay, is this some sort of Valkyrie thing? But then, you know, it, it's, it, it seems like it's almost on all of them when they, you know, or, or certainly with yeah, the wolf. And, and, and supernatural, like when uh, someone's possessed by a demon, they get like the black eyes. Yeah. So, you know, really left with uh, the fact, the fact that Bo and Dyson fraternizing you know, they've been caught by the Una Mens and, you know, there's, are we in a Mexican standoff here or, or, or what's going to happen? Uh, I mean, uh, they better address we, it. We, in, we, well, we know, yeah, right. Well, you, the, the pattern that is established here is that it ends with this big cliffhanger and then we'll start like three or four days down the road and, you know, Dice will be sitting in the bar and be like, yeah, man, a little dust up with the Una Mens, man. God, that sucked. You know, it's like, so, I don't know. They should start right from there, but, you know, that's not really how they've rolled this yeah. season. Well, you know, I mean, all in all for me, this episode, uh, you know, I liked it more than I didn't like it. Uh, you know, the, the storyline with Lauren and Ebony was really, for me, the highlight. Uh, uh, you know, I liked Hale and Kenzie, what they did with that, even though it wasn't a whole lot. And, uh, you, you know, I liked the fact that, the Una Mens is getting involved. I mean, look, we we've known the light dark thing between Bo and Dyson was going to become an issue at some point. So uh, I'm glad they're getting it started. I'm just now. not sure that that's the issue, though. Well, but but because you think they'd still be? I mean, she's aligned now. So you think if they are, you know, the light and dark are not supposed to go at it, then they would both be guilty, right? You would think. But, but I mean, so, but the point is they're at least addressing it in, in right. some, some way. Yeah. So, well, anyway, so, you know, I mean, if I was going to, you know, on a scale to one to 10, I'd probably give it a seven and a half, maybe if we were, um, if we were giving it stars. Yeah. I'd probably give it like six and a half, maybe. I don't know. There's that whole thing, that whole first half of it, except, you know, with the, um, the whole Yanka story is just, just not, not good. Yeah. And because to, to be honest, it, there just wasn't enough of a payoff. I mean, those little snippets of, you know, of visions that she saw, I mean, that wasn't enough. You know, we need, I, I really think they needed to give us more. I mean, look, we're halfway through season four. Yeah. Yeah, exa- exactly. So, so anyway, anything else you want to? Throw well, out there, there is this. one issue I wanted to raise, okay. and this is with uh, who's the Brachia's name again? Bamber, right? Right. Is that it? Yep. Um, so Bo says when she's trying to convince him to have the, the the concert, she says, "People speak of your generosity, your benevolence." And he says, 
I am both, which is just really, really bad grammar. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Right? To say people speak of how generous and benevolent you are, in which case his response would have been appropriate. He should have said, I have both or something like that. You know, they're both nouns, not adjectives. So I am both is, is, is just wrong. Okay. Just wanted to point that out. Okay. The Unamens, uh, their, their syntax was a little sketchy there also in that final scene. Right. But, but they're just, they just suck. Yeah. So. <laughs> but uh, I am starting to uh, respect them more as, as baddies. So. Oh, no question. Yeah. No question. You guys can drop us a line at fatalistpodcast at gmail.com. Check out the website, fatalist.podbean.com. You can uh, you know, leave us a voicemail. Use, you know, like we said last week, Sally suggested everybody download SpeakPipe on your own because our SpeakPipe is still not working on the webpage. But again, I mean, as I say every week, everybody knows how to record a, an MP3, and you can certainly send it as an attachment. And... Uh, you know, continue to access us on iTunes. Now, the next episode is coming up on what is it? The 29th. Is that no? Wait, what's to, we're recording on the 20th, so the uh, the 22nd, and then they're also having an episode the 29th. So, uh, like what we talked about is perhaps doing a, an abbreviated version next time. But you know, of course, we say that and yeah, don't hold your breath, people. Yeah, right. So, <laughs> any anyway. family coming and everything. So I don't, I don't know when we're going to be able to get back. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll see what we can do. We'll figure it out. So, all right. Anyway, until next time. I'm realistic in a dramatic world, honey. <laughs>